Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Being Inspired Radio Show. I am your host, Amanda Johnson, and I am really excited for our show today and for the guests that I have been honored to uh, bring on. I trust that this will be such an inspiring conversation and one that is full of light and uh, wonder and all of the good things that I personally get so excited about and why I do this show. This, uh, the today's guest, I have to say, is, um, you'll know more about him in just a moment as I introduce him, but I listen to very few podcasts, and I will say very few to like maybe two or three that I will ever go back to on a regular basis, and today's guest is the host of one of those podcasts that I have been listening to now, um, probably for well over a year when someone else had suggested it to me, and the podcast is just so full of wisdom and insight and the exploration of what it means to be human and to be a soul having a human experience. And uh, as he says, how to make your life matter or make your life worth living. And I'm honored, deeply honored to have Eric Zimmer as my guest today. Eric is a dad, a serial entrepreneur, podcast host, behavior coach, and author who is endlessly inspired by the quest for a greater understanding of how our minds work. He currently produces and hosts the award-winning podcast, The One You Feed, which has had over 7 million downloads since it began in 2014, which to me is just a tremendous statistic. Based on an old parable about two wolves at battle within us, the show features Eric's conversations with thought leaders where they discuss various topics related to what it takes to create a life worth living. In his work as a behavior coach, Eric has successfully worked with hundreds of people from around the world for over 20 years surrounding topics related to sustainable behavior change in their lives. Eric and his work have been featured in the media, including TEDx, Mind Body Green, Elephant Journal, The Guardian, and Brain Pickings. At the age of 24, Eric was homeless, addicted to heroin, and facing long jail sentences. In the years since, he has found a way to recover from addiction and build a life worth living for himself. Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on, Amanda. Well, this is a pleasure for me, and I know that all the listeners are also going to be just get so much out of this. Like I said, please go listen to his podcast uh, if you haven't already and enjoy the opportunity to get to hear a little bit more from him today as he often plays the role of the interviewer. As I read in his bio, and if you are familiar with his show or if you go check it out, you'll know that it's based on a parable or that he uses a parable to introduce every show. And so before having him on, I, I was feeling more into how I wanted to kickstart our conversation. Um, many of you who've listened to the show know I like to start with a quote or a passage, something that represents what the guest stands for or what matters most to them. And we use that as a launch pad into the conversation. And so today I felt it made a lot of sense to start with this very parable that Eric starts his show with and this time get to hear his take on it. So 
I'm going to read the parable as Eric reads it on his show, and we'll find out from Eric what this parable means for him. So the parable goes like this. A grandfather is talking with his grandson, and he says there are two wolves inside of us which are always at war with each other. One of them is a good wolf, which represents things like kindness, bravery, and love. The other is a bad wolf, which represents things like greed, hatred, and fear. The grandson stops and thinks about it for a second. Then he looks up at his grandfather and says, Grandfather, which one wins? The grandfather quietly replies, The one you feed. So Eric, now being the receiver of that parable, could you share with us what that means for you? Sure. It's, on one hand, it's very straightforward. I think everybody who listens to it gets it on an intuitive level, which is probably why it's a parable, because it conveys a lot of information in a short amount of time. And I think what it says at the highest level is we all have a choice. We have a choice in the way we act. We have a choice to some degree in the way we think. And what are we going to do with that choice? What are the choices we're going to make day to day, moment to moment? in our thoughts and behavior. So at the simplest level, I think it's it's very obviously about that. At a slightly more subtle level, there are a few other things that that I have thought about over time since I've read that thing a billion times at this point. And one of them is, one of the things I like about it is it, it normalizes the fact that we all struggle sometimes with doing the right thing. It makes it sound like you know it says we all have this battle going on inside of us and and i like that because it it helps all of us to know that like we're not the only one that has trouble sometimes being um positive or taking the taking the right behavior that we're supposed to do or not being envious of the person you know across the street who got a new car we're not alone in doing that that's the human condition to some degree so that's one of the other things i like about it, is it really normalizes that fact and i like the fact that we don't have to do anything to the bad wolf it's not a parable where we tie him up or we chain him up or we put him in the closet right we just give a little bit more attention to the good wolf and I think that's important because trying to stuff away the parts of us that are quote unquote bad can have some pretty difficult consequences also. So that's at a at a short level kind of my thought on the parable. Awesome. And I was curious about that because having listened to your show a few times, uh, many episodes of it, I've gotten a little taste of maybe your own, uh, what you're learning about. And as I read the parable too, there, there is that kind of overarching, we have a choice and where are we going to place our attention and where are we going to um, live from? And it normalizes kind of this human existence that we all have, that we all go through. And there's also this, I feel like I've heard from you in some of your, um, in some of your shows or in what you've shared, where there's also a little bit of a but is there even a place for judgment at times? And I love that you said that we don't have to like beat up the bad wolf or tie him down or or maybe even get rid of him. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on, especially since this has been a parable now you've been probably referencing, as you said, a billion times over many years, if anything has shifted for you around how you've perceived this parable or what it means to you. 
And how do you look at it now in terms of, you know, do you still see it as, well, there really is a bad and a good, or is that, again, a metaphor, a parable, um, and you see it differently? Is my question clear in terms of? I think so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I first heard the parable a long time ago when I was recovering from heroin addiction. And at that time, it hit me very hard when I heard it because it, it appeared to me, you know, again, to use the metaphor that I had done nothing but feed the bad wolf for some time. And that at that point, not only, you know, I was no longer really even feeding the wolf, the wolf was, you know, basically eating me. So it was very poignant to me at that point, because recovery is very much about taking the, the right action, doing the next right thing. You know, it's hard to, you can't think your way out of addiction. That's been my experience, right? I acted my way out of addiction by you know, the simple act of not putting the substance in my body, but then all the other things that I did that were positive. And so early on in recovery, that was a very clear parable for me. If I wanted to stay sober, then I was going to have to feed the good wolf. And so, you know, and I had a list of things at that point in my life that, that I did that fed that good wolf. And so it was very clear to me in those days about, it was just about taking the next right action. But even then, I think there was something that resonated in me because again, there was nothing about, you know, having to do anything to the bad wolf. Um, so over time, you know, my, my thought on it has, has changed a little bit. I don't think that we have a good and a bad inside of us necessarily. I think we all have the seeds of good and bad inside of us, right? I think we're all capable of that. You know, the Christian tradition says that there's original sin. The Buddhist tradition says that we all have a Buddha within us. You know, we're born perfect. I don't know if I believe either of those. I just think that my experience shows we've got both inside of us. We're capable of going both directions. And going the right direction is the path to greater happiness, fulfillment, peace, all the different things. So um, I don't know if that answers the question. I think the only thing I'll add is that you know, no, I, I do recognize that you can call them the shadow sides of us, the different things. They're not to be denied. They're not to be suppressed. I think they're to be understood. What What's happening there? You know, the the things that we would call negative, my addiction, right, was was negative. But what was it trying to accomplish? What was underneath it? And when I get to that point, then I start to see that, you know, it's not really a bad wolf. It's just more of a, a misunderstood thing but it is just at the end of the day right a parable i mean i had people come on and say like well i don't think we've got a bad and a good wolf inside of us i'm like well of course we don't have two wolves i mean i'm just you know it's a parable right. so it, it's not intended to be taken too literally but again i think it points to a pretty fundamental truth that where we put our attention as you said tends to grow and that that's our decision to make and what i've learned about myself is if i am not conscious about that, I tend to feed the bad wolf just out of some combination of habit, the culture that we're in, um, perhaps my own um, disposition, you know, that may be somewhat genetically or, or environmentally when I was a child created, whatever it is, if I'm not conscious about, about moving in a positive direction, I tend to drift in a bad direction. That's just the way that I tend to go. I don't know that everybody's that way, but I certainly am. I love that. And what it, what's coming up too out of this is the 
what I've become more and more attuned to in my own in my own journey is how uh, guess what we all need different things at different times and things are going to resonate with some of us and not with others and hearing you say at the beginning of you know as you started this and when you first heard this parable and you were in the kind of the the depths of the addiction this did speak to you for a very specific reason and there are many people who can relate to it i come from my own experience of being um, i have lived much of my life in extreme judgment and so with that comes first of all a a desire to quickly judge myself mm -hmm. right oh well that's bad oh that's good oh that's mm. and so as i have and then to extend that to everyone else and so <laughs> a part of me when i hear this parable i notice my own reaction uh, through growth of going, ooh, well, I don't, I don't know if I want to call them good or bad, right? To your point, some yep. people said that. And yet, I'm also learning to deepen into my acceptance that the, it's, it's okay if that works for someone in that moment where they're at. And it's okay if it doesn't work for me, that's okay, or whatever, not that it doesn't work for me, because I understand what I think it's saying at a higher, you know, in all facets, but yeah, there's something you said and it really stood out to me about in that point in time in your life, that's what you needed. And so that's what served you. And now you continue to see it as, you know, maybe in a different light, but it continues to serve you. Yeah, mm. I think that anything that we take too far in any direction leads to sickness of some sort, right? I'm, I tend to be suspicious of anything that goes too far in one direction. So you could read this as a, you've got to be positive all the time, positive thinking, positive thinking, positive thinking, right? Which anybody who listens to the show knows that I'm not a huge fan of positive thinking. I'm a fan of realistic thinking. And yet I think it's useful to know the direction, like you said, that our mind goes. Some people have a tendency to be way too hard on themselves. So in that case, you less judgment is needed. It, there needs to be more kindness, more love. Other people have the tendency to let themselves off the hook for everything they do. And with someone like that, they might need a little bit more accountability or a little bit more looking inside themselves and seeing where they are part of the problem instead of everybody else being part of the problem. So I think you're right. We all come at things from different directions and at different points in our lives. I mean, it's, I think of this way with music a lot. Like there are times where I've listened to a particular artist and it did nothing for me. And then three years later, I hear it and I'm like, oh my God, that is amazing. And, and I think that teachings are the same way. There's a time where we hear something and it doesn't really make any sense to us. And at another point, two years later, it could be completely profound, just depending on where we are. Right. And the fact that you're calling in to uh, point out the importance of finding that middle way, that middle ground <laughs> is incredible. And I love that so much about your podcast, actually, because I often hear you bring that perspective in. And it's very much something that I am also exploring. So can you and I'm curious in, in some ways how this might relate to your own journey, perhaps through addiction. Um, and you can share as little or as much about that, but just maybe did that. Because one thing I know, and I, I um, am in relationship with someone in recovery, so I know of it from that perspective. And the idea of this all or nothing thought process that can often come with a personality 
um, that may be more susceptible to addiction, though I may say, I think we all have our own addictions in our own ways. Uh, I, I'm, there's this kind of all or nothing thinking. And I'm curious if that fueled this interest for you to find this middle ground, this middle way, or what that journey was like or is like for you to be exploring this. Yeah, it's interesting because I think that probably more than anything else, that idea of a middle way, I would say, is my is part of my philosophical outlook on life. And yet I come from being what I thought was a very extreme person. Obviously, heroin addiction and being homeless and all that is a fairly extreme reaction to life, I suppose. But the more I've thought about it, I don't know that my nature is to be extreme. I'm always suspicious of anyone who's convinced they have the right answer to anything. There's just something in my nature that is always a little bit like, well, I don't know. And the people who are so convinced of what is right are usually sitting at one extreme or the other. And, and so I just kind of, over time, I sort of noticed that. And then I started noticing, you know, where did all or nothing thinking cause trouble in life? And, and I started seeing, we talked before a couple minutes ago about being too easy or too hard on ourselves, right? You get off too far to one side and I think it becomes problematic. Most any characteristic you want to take, if you take it too far, it becomes a problem. Bravery, you take bravery too far and you become foolhardy and you take risks that are completely unnecessary. But if you don't have enough bravery, right, then you're in the in the fear camp. And so the more I just kind of looked at it over time, I went, wow, there is so much wisdom in finding the middle way. A lot of people I work with from a coaching perspective, this is an area that they get into a lot of trouble because what it is, is let's say I'm trying to build an exercise habit. And so I suddenly decide that I'm going to exercise an hour a day. Well, if I can't exercise an hour a day, I might do it for a few days because, you know, going from not exercising to at all to an hour a day is, is very difficult. And so what you find with a lot of people is if they're unable to do it perfectly, they quit. Either I do it an hour a day or I don't do it at all. Well, what about doing it 10 minutes a day, every day, and building from there? So that's another middle way example of not taking the all or nothing approach. If I've got a workout and I wanted to work out for 45 minutes and work runs late, the old me would say, well, I didn't make it in time. The, the, the middle way approach would be to say, well, I'm not going to be able to do the full 45 minutes, but you know what? I can get outside and take a walk for 15 minutes. You know, that's again, a middle way approach. I just had this happen to interject that with, I, I, I'm one of those people. I, I identify with that with uh, my yoga practice. And I do a yoga practice that tends to take anywhere from 75 to 90 minutes. So it's quite, you know, it takes a lot of my time to do. And I will think often to myself, well, if I, if I can't do the whole thing, I'm not going to do any of it. And I caught myself thinking that recently as well, though uh, I celebrated when I got on the mat and I did at least 20 minutes and I did 20 minutes, but the, the thought was still there, which was, well, you, you should have really done the whole thing. And then tomorrow, you know, that it's still there. So I, I love that you're showing that as an example, because I think it's something so many of us can relate to. Yeah. And the thoughts will be there with a lot of this stuff. The thought is there at the end of the day, though, the thought is not that important. It's the action that matters. You know, it, it doesn't matter if you thought you should have done 45 minutes, but you did 20, you would at least did 20 minutes. I'm not saying that thoughts don't matter, but my life is a very clear example of if I just allow my thoughts to dictate the behaviors that happen in my life, 
I can end up in some pretty big trouble. Um, same way, like if I allow my mood to be the director of what happens and doesn't happen in my life, that's very, doesn't turn out well. And so it, underlying all that, I have a very strong belief in behavior. I have a very strong belief in that it's what we do that really matters. And that you know, a phrase I use on the show a lot is that you can't think your way into right action. Sometimes you have to act your way into right thinking. And that's just been so true for me. Wow. What I'm curious about, because something you sent to me before the show is this, um, what you're really looking at right now is the idea of awakening. And I know you've had some silent meditation experience late recently with a long retreat um, and kind of this letting go or the loosening of our identification with these different selves. Okay. And which also I kind of feel comes up for me when I hear the parable, right? There's this self and then there's that self, there's the good one. And then there's the bad one. Right. Uh, I, I look at it a lot in my work recently with, well, there's the, like the true self and then there's the false self. And boy, mm-hmm. these things seem, why? And I've been creating all this separation. And so I'd love to hear either what we're talking about, how this leads to this idea of awakening, or just what are your thoughts right now as you've been looking at awakening and, and loosening your identification with these other selves? Yeah, it's funny because I don't know how it connects in any way, to be honest. So I've been a big fan of Buddhism for a long time, and I would say that a lot of the Buddhist teachings have shaped the way I think about the world. I wouldn't describe myself necessarily as a Buddhist, but there's a lot of it that I look at and I go, oh yeah, there's a lot of truth there. So always been interested, always read a lot about it. And there's a concept in Buddhism that's always been there about no self that you know the self we take to be true is not really there in the way we think it is and it's more or less been a teaching that i've gone well that's interesting and doesn't make the slightest bit of sense to me because it seems 100% apparent to me that there is a self here very clearly and so didn't pay much attention to it earlier in the year we had a guest on the show called adi ashanti and adi ashanti is a teacher who teaches basically awakening is his focus. And by awakening, I think it's kind of what you might think enlightenment means. It's basically awakening to the fact of exactly what I just said, that idea that the self that we think is here is not here in the way we think it is. And when I had him on and I started reading his stuff, it just opened a completely different door in me that I was really interested in exploring. One of the things about Buddhism that has always made sense to me and and I think is incredibly true is that our desire and craving for the world to be a certain way is at the is at the root of a lot of our suffering. A lot of what we all suffer from is because we want more of this, we want less of that, we're grasping, we're pushing away. We're, we're always trying to make the world different. That's what addiction was for me completely. It was an attempt to make the way I felt different all of the time. And the way I felt normally was simply unacceptable. And so I've always seen that to be true. And that leads to a sense of, okay, well, the, the, the less tightly I cling to the world, the less that I'm stuck on my preferences of the way things are in my view, there's more peace to be found there. So I've always had that view and it's always made sense, but taking it that next level that the self doesn't exist in the way we think it does, 
never really interested me until I had Adi Ashanti on the show. And it really fascinated me, so much so that I booked a one-week silent retreat with him um, that I just did not too long ago. And so as a part of getting ready for that retreat, I was reading more about this. I was looking at more of his work, and I went on the retreat, and I had on the retreat, I've not, I've shared this with almost no one, um, my girlfriend, and um, that, that might be it by and large in any great detail. Um, but I had what would be considered a classic mystical experience. You know, I had, I had a period of time for four or five, six hours where it was incredibly clear to me in that moment that everything is one at some fundamental level. And not just knowing that, because I think you can think that through, and we might all say that, well, we're all connected, and, but, but a true understanding and the self that we normally think of as ourselves disappeared for me in a way that was really profound and it, not like i wasn't there at all again this stuff sounds so wacky it's very difficult <laughs> well, I'm, so I'm difficult for me to head. talk about it seriously <laughs> yeah it's difficult for me to talk about because in some ways it sounds so wacky but basically what i realized was that this idea of myself the whole bio you read right the whole eric is this and eric does this and eric likes this and it I realized that it is all, to a certain extent, a story. And I was able to see behind that story. And I was able to sort of look a little bit deeper and see that there's another view of the world. People will talk about it as being, you know, there's the non-duality is what this is often referred to, right? Which says that there aren't two different things. Everything is connected. It's one world. Um, but even people who are in that way or will say, you know what? When you achieve that state, you see the world in two ways. There's one, which is the non-dual way where you see the connection of everything and you see that you as a self aren't what you think it is. And then there's the way we operate in the world. And obviously, from that perspective, there is a self. I am sitting here talking to you and I've had a series of experiences in my life that shape the way that I think. And I've got a body that I, is connected to me and I take it everywhere I go. So it's, there's both those views. And so I have no idea how this other view, this idea of awakening, fits with everything else that I've done and taught. I looked back as I was having this moment and I, I tried to think, is anything that I've been saying or teaching or believing really untrue? And, and I looked at it and I went, I don't think so. I think that it was all part of a path that I was on and all needed where I was at that different point. So the truth is, I don't know how this fits. And I wouldn't say that I'm living in that place. I had that experience for four or five, six hours, but it is faded. And I'm, I'm not in the same way I was before it happened, but I wouldn't say I'm living in an awakened state like I was then, which is also another very interesting sort of thing to watch out for, because there's a part of me that's like, wait, I want to feel that way all the time. Which right, is like again just... being awakened is this other thing, right? Yep, yep, yeah, right, yeah. Right. It's another. It's it's almost. I I love that you are referencing Adi Ashanti now. Uh, I that was one of the um, one of the episodes of many I've listened of yours and just loved it. And he also is a, a spiritual teacher I'm familiar with from my time living in San Francisco, and. Uh, I've listened to his self inquiry, and I recently a meditation, and I just recently listened to it again. And his talk about uh, that we are not our personality, uh -huh. that we are not our persona from the, you know, even when you think back to Greek tragedy, Greek theater, putting on the mask and the persona 
and how we can often even think of to live an awakened life, to be enlightened, to be a spiritual something something means that it's another persona to wear or to be. And I, I think that is a watch out for me and I've seen for many, many on this path. And I love that you're admitting to not quite knowing how it fits. And as I hear you talk about it, I hear this idea of, well, as you had that experience, which I get, I think sometimes we have those moments. Mine was via ayahuasca. Yours was in a silent retreat. People have them in other ways of that true cellular experiential moment of what it means to be one. Um, I think when we have a glimpse into that, we start to just, we start to tap into it. And then we have a little more confidence that it's there and that it exists. And then, yeah, we get to start to go around this world. And that's where the questions continuously arise around, well, then, you know, how do I still be? How am I still human and live a human existence? And then the questions of the both and come up and Mm -hmm. the question of the middle way. And, and I, I also am thinking right now of Donald Neil Walsh. And I don't know if you've read any of his books, Conversations with God. I haven't really. I'm familiar with them. Yeah. I think I may have looked at them a long time ago and okay. it didn't speak to me at the time. Yeah. And again, I didn't know really other than by name, maybe heard the name of the books, never looked at them. And then the fourth book he recently wrote, which was many, many years after the first three was presented to me or suggested. And I, I felt called. I said, okay, I'll read it. And it's called Awaken the Species. Hmm. And uh, it just totally landed for me. And I, I, my, my biggest takeaway, there were many, many takeaways, but what is being reminded right now in my mind and based on what you just said is that we just have to remember we're already awake. Like it's not even this thing we need to go through and do or become, or again, wear a certain mask or persona. We need to remember we already are because that's all we are like that's how, how can we be anything else so there's just a lot and and these are the conversations that start to bend my mind and <laughs> and hurt my head to think about yep. um yeah and i imagine you have many of these conversations because of who all you speak to so well this hasn't yeah. really been a topic that has come up a lot on the show because to be honest i wasn't that interested in it you know, Adi Shanti sort of started that interest and I've explored it. Now, I've obviously, as I'm looking at future guests, I've got an interest in saying, you know what, I want to talk a little bit more about this. And yet I don't want to, I'm wrestling with, well, if that's all I talk about, for a lot of people, they're just not at that place where that's something they're really interested in. It's very difficult to say that because that makes it sound like, well, I'm at this higher place. And I, I don't even mean it in that sense. It's just a different place. But you're right. It gets very challenging because on on one hand, you know, all these teachers will tell you, you are already awake. You are you are connected to everything. You just aren't realizing it in this moment. But it's right here. And all you have to do for that to happen is just stop trying, which is the classic, like, how do you, you know, how do you try not to try? Um, and it, it raises all of those questions. And it starts to become gobbledygook at a certain point. Like, well, consciousness, conscious of consciousness, which is awake of, you know, and you just like, what? Right. And, right. And so it's like, I'm, you know, how do I, I want to pursue that. That was very important to me. What it showed me in that moment was that if that dissolves, 
everything else falls into place in a certain way. The the only way I can describe it is, you know, when I was a when I was drinking uh, or doing drugs, I would always try and make things better. Well, I'm going to I'm going to bear down and become a better musician or I'm going to exercise more and that's going to help things or I'm going to do this thing, right? And those were all things that I just was nibbling around the edges of the problem. When I solved the problem, which was my drinking and drugs, everything else just suddenly got better in a big way. And this felt a little bit like that to me. It felt like, okay, part of the problem that I'm nibbling around the edges of is the fact that I have this idea of myself and I have this ego that we call it. And a lot of my life is driven by that. What I want, what I don't want, how I think of myself, how you think of me, all of that. And if that went away, it solves all those problems in a pretty significant way. And so that's kind of, you know, what I've been, what I've been thinking about as far as, as where all that fits. But I'm honestly trying to figure it out as part of where it fits with the show, with what I do. It's what I'm very, very, very interested in right now. It's like kind of yeah. taking most of my mental cycles. And yet there's that, you know, don't chase an experience is, is what you're told in those, in those circles a lot. So yeah, totally figuring it all out. Very interested in it. It gave me a new perspective on life, certainly. And so I'm right in the midst of all that transition. Which is always such a uncomfortable place to be as we start to do what that experience is in itself. When we, when we start to loosen our identity with our personality, and so much of that even is, you know, what's my show about and what's the message I stand for? For me, I remember noticing how much my identity has been wrapped around trying to fix myself or figure things out. Yep. Yeah. And if I don't have that anymore, <laughs> what, do like, you have? what do I have? Right. Yeah. And so I think that is such a great big question for us to be with. And, and what I'm noticing as I hear you share your experience of that is I love the comparison of kind of like the, you know, living within the ego is kind of like the living with the drinking and the drugs and like, well, we just drop it. Let's, we were trying so hard to fix all these other things. Let's just drop those like that big thing. Everything else falls into place. And it's interesting because even from that space, it doesn't mean like once you stopped drinking and dropped the drugs, then you just stopped living. Like you actually lived more fully. You lived more, uh, you know, probably just, you were healthier, you did more things, you pursued your passions. And, and so why not carry that same concept to we drop the ego? That doesn't mean we'll stop living. It means we'll actually just live from this place of pure joy or pure, or pure any, everything. Yeah. Like we'll feel all of it. It's not just going to be happy singing on a cloud all the time. Like, right. And, and, and that's it. Like, we'll just live from that place fully. And, and I, it's, it, I just love that comparison actually, because I think it's quite powerful to see there's a lot of similarity to it, I think. Yeah. My experience when I was in that state was that all of a sudden, here's a, here's a good example, right? I have been talking with a publisher about writing a book and we've been going back and forth and I've been giving her some examples and I've been put, I've been putting a lot of effort into it. Right. I was very excited about it. I put a lot of work into it when I had that moment. And even after I suddenly am not sure if I want to do it. And the reason I realized was that 
I was doing it because I wanted to be an author, right? I've always wanted to be, since I was a kid, I've always wanted to be an author. And I wanted people to know I was an author. And I, so it was very tied up in, there was a lot of, there was a fair amount of ego related stuff in there. And so when that has sort of fallen away and lessened to a great deal, all of a sudden I'm much less interested than I was. And it's an interesting take. And I felt that way about the show briefly, but then I looked at the show and, and I, I realized that sure ego all you know it plays into everything to some degree do i want you know do i want people to know the show do i want you know do i want to get more downloads all of that stuff sure it is true but what fundamentally drives me in the show the the major motivator is not that's not where it's coming from and so that was something i'm like yeah i still want to continue to do this because although ego creeps its way in it's not by any stretch the primary motivation there which was comforting for me because then i went okay and so what i guess what i'm saying is like you said it's not that life is over it's just suddenly what motivates me is different and again the little experience i had with it told me that it was different in a very positive way a it felt better but that the way that i would act is much more in line with exactly what my belief code is now the way i think that we should all act towards each other and treat each other just seemed easier in that state absolutely and something else that this is reminding me of is as i had other a similar experience as well and i believe that was triggered by my ayahuasca journey and then i was in this space also about to we were wanting to write a book and i noticed my own conflict there of oh gosh now writing a book is only coming from the ego. And I actually lived in that belief for a little while. And it took a while to, to look at it from a different perspective. And so I love that you shared that in one case, you notice where, wow, yeah, this isn't my call it your true self, call it your no self. Yeah, no self is still a concept. Maybe I'm not fully there yet, but at least I can identify yeah. with this idea of there's something else in, in inside that is really yep. the unchanging, constant Mm -hmm. connected one beat part, uh, you know, piece. And if I can tap into that. And so I, I love that you could tell that wasn't maybe driving the book, but it was driving the, the, the podcast and you could sense a, a difference there. And I also had to go through that to say, wow, is it my ego that wants to write the book? And, you know, and then I, I realized that again, maybe we could use the same analogy or the same idea of like, if we're drinking, it's like, well, you know, when I drink, I go out and I have a lot of fun and I'm, you know, just feeling on top of the world. Well, guess what? Even if I stop drinking, well, I can still go out and have fun and feel on top of the world. So it wasn't just the drinking that um, in, encouraged me to feel that way or that, you know, that's the only reason I wanted to feel that way or why I did. And I think the same with the ego, just because we drop the ego doesn't mean we aren't going to still pursue those things that really light us up and feel expansive and incredible to us because we can and we will, and they actually get clearer and they don't have to come from the quote unquote ego. And I was actually in a bit of a battle with myself to think, oh no, just because I want to write a book means I'm living from my ego. So there's, there's so many layers to this as we as we peel it away, but yeah. Yeah, I don't think the desire to write a book necessarily means anything egoic for certain people. It just was in my case, I could notice that it was, but yeah. And I've been exploring these kind of questions in the show all along. I mean, the, the fundamental questions that I think underlie the whole show are, 
you know, one is how do you balance this idea of self-improvement? I want to be a better person. I want to be a better version of myself. I want to be kinder. I want to be more loving. I want to be awake, whatever those things are, right? How do you balance that with accepting yourself exactly the way you are and being okay with that? And then the other one, which is sort of a variation on the same thing is, is how do you am, how do you balance things like ambition or this, even be more spiritual about it. So ambition is one way to put it. The other way to put it is it feels to me like baked into life is this desire to grow, to change, to, it feels like it's just part of what life is. How do you balance that with being completely present right where you are and content with what you have? And those questions have been at the heart of the show for me. And a lot of the examples I've gotten from people are, well, you kind of do both. And I'm like, well, that doesn't even make sense. Um, <laughs> <Right>. But <laughs> it does. But the thing that I got from people was that a lot of people who still go on to do great things, who have really lost to a large extent their ego or their ambition in the way that we would think about it, is exactly what you said. They're doing it because there's a joy in doing it. it they're not doing it for the end result. They're not doing it because the book might be the New York Times bestseller. They're doing it because they like writing the book or they're doing it because they really want to share that thing with other people. So what's driving it can change. And I've always believed that it's very difficult for us to have pure motivation. And what I mean by that is like, take, the, take my show as an example. Yes, I want to help other people. Yes, I want to make myself better. I mean, a big part of the reason I did the show was just to feed my own good wolf. I was like, I just need, I need a higher dose of this than I'm getting. And, and if I do this podcast, I'll kind of be immersed in it. So those reasons were there. And at the same time, you get some ego that creeps in about how many downloads am I getting or, you know, is, you know, we're going to win the iTunes award again or, and so what I've realized, it's very difficult for me. It's always been difficult for there to be a completely pure motivation, something always, there's always a mix in there. Um, ideally, it's mostly, you know, good things with a little bit of bad. And, and I've accepted that. And, and I've accepted that as a way of just going, okay, well, you know what, let me focus on what the major motivation is. But in that period of time where I was, you know, awake, I guess I would say, it became clear to me like, oh, wait a minute there is a different way to be here that I didn't even think was necessarily possible. And so yeah. again, that sort of has me reframing a little bit of, you know, what this is so that I, what happened in that state is so different than what my nor you know, middle way. I'm sort of a, you know, like, don't, don't take things too far. That's taken things pretty far. <laughs> if you, if you believe uh, that, you know, yeah. And so, yeah, I think as we've said multiple times, I'm right in the middle of sorting it out, which I'm actually okay with. I, I am surprisingly like, well, I don't know the answer to a lot of this stuff and, and I'm feeling pretty good, you know, pretty okay with that. And there you are practicing that. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're being with the questions and I think that's the best we can all do. Be with the questions and be yep. in it. And that's amazing. Oh my goodness. There are so many good things. And, and I could have a whole conversation with you just about the whole uh, major themes of your show and the questions you raise. Cause that's 
one of the reasons I so so love your show is it it does explore some of the major questions I am continuously uh, rolling around in uh, in yeah. my head. So thank you for just articulating them even. Um, and with that, I would just love to shift gears slightly, even though we could continue talking about this for many, many more minutes and hours. I love to close each show asking the same questions of each of my guests, just to hear what's really inspiring uh, for you and to you. And, and the first of those questions is, and I, I will preface to say it's whatever's present, whatever the first answer or whatever stands out, because I'm sure you'll have many answers for many of these. Uh, who is a source of inspiration for you and why? I mean, I think right now I would say Adi Ashanti. There's something about him that is inspiring to me because I think he is, he has something happening to him that is different than what happens to me. I've been looking for, in, in the spiritual world, there's always an idea of a teacher, right? And I've been like, who is my, you know, I feel like I need a teacher. I feel like I need, and so many of people that I would look at as being potential teachers, I would like, well, they said that better than I would say it, but I kind of know that to be true. Adi Ashanti sort of, when I'm listening to him, my mind is kind of getting blown. I'm like, wait, what? Hang on, what? what? And so right now it's, it's him. I mean, I think he is, you know, what is inspiring me right now. Great answer. Wow. What place or activity is most inspiring to you right now? Well, the, the meditation retreat made me get more serious about meditation again in my own life. And I've been meditating. I meditate, you know, nearly, I had been near meditating nearly every day, you know, high, high 90%, but I've gotten more serious about increasing the duration. So I would say partially meditation, but mostly nature lately. I just have found a great peace and um, inspiration being outdoors in the woods. The woods is the place. Do you live nearby that or is it someplace you have to travel to? There's plenty of places here in Columbus that, you know, in five minutes I can be in some form of woods. Um, if I want to be like deep in the woods, I have to travel maybe 30, 40 minutes. But, but I am able to make, again, the middle way, right? It's like, well, I can't get quite to the middle of nowhere, but you know what? This is a lovely little, you know, couple square miles of of park that's beautiful and so i'm trying to do more of that just just do the little piece get some nature in there instead of like thinking it has to be these big expeditions absolutely i love it what about books and maybe you're an avid reader or not i don't know but what maybe book is standing out to you right now that's really inspired you well, yeah, all I do is read i mean for the show basically every week i've got a different guest and and i'm still in that phase, you know, almost four years later, where I'm like, well, if they got a book, I got to read it. And so all, you know, I feel like I reading is a major part of my life. Um, I started reading a book, not for a guest, it's called The Mind Illuminated by, I have no idea how to say his name, Caledusa. It John Yates is his name. He's got some spiritual name. It's the most thorough book about an approach to meditation and how meditation changes over time. I've just been kind of very interested in it. On another note, I'm reading a book. It's a new book, and I don't know the title of it, by a guy named Shozan Jack Hobner, H-A-U-B-N-E-R. 
he was on our show before he wrote a book called Zen Confidential. He's basically a Zen monk. He's also one of the funniest damn people I've ever read. And so he's coming on again in the not too distant future. So he's got a new book out, Confessions of a Wayward Monk, I think is what it's called. But it's just brilliant. It's so there's so much wisdom in it and it's absolutely hilarious. So I'm having a great time preparing for that one. We need, I love hearing that because I think we all need a little more humor infused into these, you know, spiritual yeah. concepts. So kudos to him. Yeah. Levity. I think levity is a spiritual virtue. Absolutely. Okay. Wonderful. Well, I, I don't, I'm not familiar with either of those. So I love hearing new books uh, recommended on this show for me to add to my list. So and now this may be an obvious question, but maybe not. I, what are you currently working on or creating anywhere in your life that is inspiring you right now? Well, I'm always working on the show and I feel like there's some form of creation in that. I'm, it's probably only in my own head. But it, it does feel like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm bringing something together in a conversation. So that's always there and is always kind of inspiring to me. Um, the other one I would just say is, is I'm inspired by exploring this awakening idea and just reading about it and deepening my meditation practice and trying to be, you know, trying not to try to try to try to not to try to be more present. <laughs> awake of consciousness, which is conscious of its awakening. And <laughs> exactly. So I think, you know, kind of, I'm kind of a one trick pony right now, but that's, that's what's on my mind and, and uh, what I'm doing. I may get back to the book at some point. I've, I've looked at it a little bit, but, but not working on it right now. If you'd asked me Two weeks ago, I would have said, or three weeks ago, I would have said, oh yeah, that's what it is. Cause I was, I was very focused. Yeah, that's cool. And, and yet to just be really, to be really comfortable in that and not need that right now is fantastic. Yep. So I love it. And the show is quite a creation, I, I would say. So you, you put a lot into that and there is a lot of creative output uh, for the recipient. So, and then now my last question is for those inspired to reach out, where can they find you? And of course I will put links in the show notes, but let us know in case they can't look down and yep. read right now. Oneufeed.net. That's uh, all spelled out. O-N-E-Y-O-U-F-E-E-D.net. You can find anything you would want there, whether it's the program, find me on social media, various and sundry other things are there. Wonderful. Even the parable that I got yes. to read at the beginning. Yes. Wonderful. Yes. Well, Eric, this, this was wonderful. And I, I thank you for trusting me to navigate and explore with you these ideas and concepts that are never neat and tidy. And they can just, it's like sometimes finding a thread in a sweater and you just start to pull and pull and pull. And I don't know if we even unraveled it completely, but I feel like we started and thank you for going there with me and sharing some of your own experiences with it. I, I do appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. And you should, it's funny that you said a thread, you should, when we're done here, look up a poem by William, just type William Stafford thread. And he's got a gorgeous poem that I ha has come across my path like three times in the last week. That's a beautiful poem and it features a thread. So I think you'd like it. And it, it's funny I, to me that you just brought up thread again. Yes. So. Yeah, there's I, I don't, I'm not surprised by those things anymore, but I will <laughs> certainly look that up. So thank you. Wow. Well, thank you for those tuning in and listening. And thanks again to Eric for sharing your wisdom and insight. And until next time, everyone, many blessings.